Amen, family. Well, once again, it's a, a joy to, to be back with my family and to worship with the saints. I've missed y'all. Missed you all very much. And I just want to thank you all once again for your prayers, for your encouragement, for the ways that you cared for us, um, for your encouraging messages and bringing us meals and bringing us COVID tests and all these different things, Lord. Um, everyone, we, we are just so uh, grateful for our church family. And so I appreciate you guys once again. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. So Mark 1, 35 through 39. That's where we're going to be as we continue in our sermon series through the gospel of Mark. So Mark 1, 35 to 39, as you turn there or scroll there, um, if you need a Bible, um, just let us know. Uh, we have some Bibles uh, in the back. Um, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. All right. Cool. As you turn there, I want to ask you all a question by way of introduction. What would you say is the most important thing you need right now? What would you say is the most important thing you need right now? If you could do without everything else, what would be that one thing that you couldn't do without? Let me ask it a different way. What would give you the most joy and peace if you could have it right now? What would give you the most joy and peace if you could have it right now. What I want to share with us this afternoon, that the most important thing you and I need is, is not a thing, but a person. The most important person you and I need is God. Jesus knew that. And he also knew that intimacy with God, with the Father, was the most important thing he needed and that we would need as his followers. So the most important thing that we need from all different walks of life coming into these doors this afternoon, from all different challenges and needs and desires, from things that we're going to walk into tomorrow that are unexpected, that we don't know, the most important thing you and I need is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. And I pray that during our time together, whether you came in with the weight of the world on your shoulders or you're in a dry season spiritually, or if you don't know the Lord, that you'll be encouraged this afternoon and challenged this afternoon by Jesus' example here in this text. So let's dig in. Let me pray again before we dig in. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this time once again. Uh, thank you for the preparation. Uh, I pray now as I preach, Lord, that I would preach the word of God to the people of God for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Mark 1, starting at verse 35, reads as follows. It says, 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So if you're taking notes, here's the outline of the passage. It's this, point number one, Jesus prioritizes intimacy with the Father. Number one, Jesus prioritizes intimacy with the Father. We'll see that in verse 35. Number two, Jesus models intimacy with the Father. Jesus models intimacy with the Father. We'll see that in verse 35 as well. And then number three, Jesus ministers with a dependency from intimacy with the Father. Jesus ministers with a dependency from intimacy with the Father. So point number one, Jesus prioritizes intimacy with the Father. Look back with me at verse 35. Here's what it reads. It says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I want to show you three ways from this text that Jesus prioritizes intimacy with the Father. Before I do, let me, let me define, I think we already know this, but let me define what I mean by, by intimacy with the Father. I simply mean a relationship, a relationship, Right? A relationship with God, spending quality time with God, knowing God and spending quality time with God through prayer, through the reading of his word, and spending time with him, communing with him in his presence. So three ways that Jesus prioritizes this type of intimacy with the Father. Here they are. Number one, time. Number one is time. Look at the text again. It says, text starts off by saying Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, I'm sure Jesus was tired. Remember, as we were studying this passage a few weeks ago or so, uh, the passage before this is that he healed many, right? Before coming into this scene that we're in, Jesus had healed many of sicknesses and illnesses, and he had also cast out many demons, right? This all began in the evening at sundown. If you look at chapter 1, verse 32, what does it say? It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So this happened at sundown. And as some scholars suggest, this probably went to midnight, if not later, of Jesus healing and casting out demons. So Jesus probably only got a few hours of sleep. Definitely didn't get eight hours. Definitely didn't get eight hours. He only got a few hours of sleep, so I know Jesus was, was tired. We think Jesus was tired. So that's time. Number two, location. Location. Look back down in verse 35. We learned that Jesus was at Peter's house in the passage before. And here we see Jesus leaving Peter's house early in the morning and going to a desolate place. Some Bible translations translate desolate place as an isolated place or a solitary place. Essentially, all this means is that Jesus got away to a quiet place to spend a long time with the Father, right? So Jesus got away to spend some alone time, some uninterrupted time 
uh, with the Father. That's time, that's location. Number three, follow through. Time, location, follow through. So Jesus got up early. He went to a quiet place, and he followed through on praying. What I mean by that is you look back at verse 35. What does it say? It says, and there he prayed. So he did what he sought to do. He did what he had planned to do. When he got up, his eyes were set on spending time with the Father. He prioritized praying when, guess what, he could have been doing? He could have been catching up on rest. Granted, he was working hard up into the wee hours, right? Casting out demons, healing the sick. He could have been catching up on rest, but he found his rest in this sweet fellowship he had with his father. This is where Jesus found his rest. In this sweet time of fellowship, uninterrupted time, time away from the crew and the crowds, right? The crew being the disciples and the crowds being all of those who he had healed and cast out demons. And they're looking for him as we'll continue on in the next uh, few verses. So time, location, and follow through. These are three ways right here off the gate that we see Jesus prioritizing intimacy with the Father. Not only does Jesus prioritize intimacy with the Father, but number two, Jesus models intimacy with the Father. He models it, right? We see that also in verse 35. So in verse 35, we see Jesus spending time with the Father in prayer. But this isn't the only time in the Gospels where we see Jesus spending time in prayer with the Father. Jesus, Jesus loved spending time with his Father. He cherished spending time with his Father in prayer. And let me just, let me just do this real quick. Just to, when, I'm, when I'm saying Jesus and Father, so we are a church who believes in the triune God, uh, that uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, three distinct persons, one God, right? And so Jesus, the Son of God, is praying to God the Father. And so we even see this, at least two persons of the Trinity here in this text, another text that we'll read. So God the Son is praying to God the Father. And so once again, Jesus loved spending time with his Father. A couple of examples here. Before Jesus walked on water, he was alone with his Father in prayer. Look at Matthew 14, 22 through 23. You could turn there or scroll there. This is what it reads. So Matthew 14, verses 22 through 23. This is before Jesus walked on water. He was alone spending time with his Father. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So that's one example. Here's a couple of more examples. This is an example from our parallel passage of passage we're reading. So Luke 4.42 is a parallel passage of this. Luke 4.42 says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Right? So he, he departed from them and goes to a desolate place. Lastly, John 6.15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
So Jesus, based on these passages, you see him prioritizing a long time, prioritizing intimacy with the Father. Jesus prioritized getting along to be with the Father, and he models it for us. But again, these weren't the only times in Jesus' ministry where he prayed or got along with the Father. I want to be clear. No, Jesus' whole ministry was marked by intimacy with the Father. This wasn't some times. No, it was that his whole ministry, his whole life was marked by intimacy with the Father. In other words, Jesus was about his Father's business. Jesus was about his Father's business. And there are so many other places we can turn to in Scripture, but I really want to direct our attention to two of them right now. Two of them. So in preparation for the worst experience any human being could ever experience or would experience, the Lord Jesus is found praying. This is before Jesus is betrayed by Judas and handed over to be crucified. Before he's handed over to be crucified, we find Jesus praying. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You are probably familiar with this passage, but Matthew 26, 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thank you for bearing with me and reading that, but I want to set the tone that, that in a moment, in the worst moment of Jesus' life, the Son of God being handed over to be crucified, before he's handed over, we find him praying. Even as Sister Nicole was saying, like, out of desperation. Even here, we see Jesus praying out of desperation. He's about to drink the cup of the Father's wrath, full, complete wrath for you and me. Then after Jesus is crucified on the cross, at a moment where he could be fired up, and, and angry and popping off at the lip about him being king and that he'll crush all of the evildoers and those who put pain on him. He does the complete opposite. He prays for them. He prays for us. In Luke 23, 34, it says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is God could crush somebody with a, a snap of the finger. 
But what does he do? He instead prays, for, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Last example of Jesus modeling intimacy with the Father, modeling prayer to God, is that he also teaches us how to pray, doesn't he? He also teaches us how to pray. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, pray then like this. This is Jesus saying, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Teaches us how to pray. He prioritizes intimacy with the Father, and he models intimacy with the Father in by showing us what that looks like and then also teaching us what that entails. So, one question by way of application for all of us is that if Jesus prioritized time to pray, how come we don't? How come we don't? Jesus is the son of God. He's God. And we see him prioritizing prayer, getting away to be alone with the heavenly father. This is Jesus who had all power and dominion, but in moments of weakness and desperation, praying. So if that's the case, in our moments of weaknesses and desperation, what makes us think that we should pray? Jesus prioritized intimacy with the Father, and so should we as his followers. Amen? Now, I get it. I get it that if you're a mom and you know, getting up early with the, with the itty-bitties early in the morning may be, be hard for you, or for some it may not be. I think the encouragement here is either way, may you be encouraged to find a time during the day or the night that works for you where you can be alone with God, where you can be alone with God in prayer some uninterrupted time. I know moms are like, uninterrupted time? What does that look like? Uh, but I pray it would be possible. And us husbands, dads, we, we got to make it possible for, for the moms. Amen? Dads and moms, again, maybe you feel like you've been failing in your prayer life. And not just dads and moms or husbands and wives, but, but, but those who aren't in relationships right now. Maybe you all have been feeling like you've been failing in your prayer life. Or maybe you... Or feeling like you're in a dry season. I've definitely been there when it comes to like a dry season. I've had moments where I felt like I was rushing through prayer or feeling like my prayers lacked faith or they were stale. Can anyone else relate to that? Feeling like you're rushing your prayers or feeling like your prayers lack faith or you feel like, man, I'm praying the same thing. <laughs> um, I just feel it feels this way. Um, But do you know what helped me in moments 
when I had those dry spells or dry seasons, you know what helped me in those moments? Prayer. Prayer. The very thing I was struggling with became the very thing that, that blessed me and helped me in my dry season of prayer or whatever the case may be. I pray for my prayer life. And I would encourage all of us as Christians to pray for our prayer lives. Pray for your prayer life. That is not off the table to pray for. Sometimes you got to pray for your prayer life and pray for your devotion in the word to God. Pray for those things if you aren't already. Something else that helped me, and I just mentioned it, was reading God's word. Reading his word and in the moments that I felt like I didn't know what to say in prayer, praying the words of God back to God. Praying his holy word back to him. I found that to be a great encouragement to me. And then lastly, preaching the gospel to my heart. Preaching the gospel to my heart and reminding myself that at the cross, there is grace for my prayer life. And at the cross, Christian, there's grace for your prayer life. There's grace for your quiet times. And in the times where you're struggling, rushing to work, rushing to school, whatever the case may be, there's grace for you. So be encouraged. Let's, let's keep it a buck. Let's keep it 100. Sometimes life is just a beast. <laughs> it's just a beast. And you feel like it's closing in on you. You're so overwhelmed that you're finding it hard to breathe. Sometimes that's, that's us. You have so much going on that you're finding it hard to think. So many different things. Mind going 100 miles per hour. And if that's you or if that's me, you may find in those times that you might only be able to pray, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And I want you to know if that is you, trust that God will receive even that prayer. That he will receive that prayer. Lord, help me. He delights in helping us Christians. And he will help you. He will help me. So indeed, know that God's answer for you, if that's you, that he will help you and that he will answer you. Kids, children in the room, I'm reminding of the book we read with LJ. Uh, and its title of the book, some of you all might know it, uh, is what I want us to take note of. I want the children, the teens to take note of is that you can pray anytime, any place, any prayer. You can pray anytime, any place, any prayer. So kids and children, yeah, you can pray to God anytime, any place. Any prayer. We pray that, that the Lord would indeed save you if he hasn't already. And that you would indeed trust in the Lord. And find those times of spending with God as a delight, as a joy. That he may use that to grow you up, children in the room, teens in the room, young adults in the room. And he may grow you up in the stature and wisdom of the Lord. Non-Christians and Christians alike, Jesus died so that you and I could experience intimacy with God. Did you, did you, you know that? You, 
Jesus died for this. This is what Jesus died for. So that you and I can know him and worship him and spend time with him. This is what Jesus died for. So that we can do that now and be able to do that for all of eternity. That's where we're headed, Christians. To be to, to have 24-7 quiet time with God. Worshiping him around the throne with the other saints. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, again, this is what Jesus died for. He died so that you might know him. He died so that you would agree with the Bible, that you would agree with the Bible, agree with God that you are a sinner. That your sin has separated you from God. And if you were to die in your sin, that you would be judged. That you would be judged rightly by the right judge, the only judge. That he would judge you rightly and swiftly and say that you're guilty. And that you're deserving of his wrath. But in his grace and mercy, he sends Jesus, his son, to live a perfect sinless life in your place and in my place. Taking the full cup of God's wrath, drinking that for you and for me, dying to death that you deserve, that I deserve, on the cross for our sin, being buried in a grave, but the grave didn't hold him. Satan couldn't hold him. Sin had no dominion over him. He rose from the dead on the third day, offering life to all who would repent, all who would turn away from sin and turn to him by faith, by trust, by belief in what he has done alone. And he said, if you do that, non-Christian, you can be saved. You can be forgiven of all of your sin, cleansed as if you had no sin. Sins forgotten, removed, as the psalmist says, far, far west and to the east, so far he removes our transgressions from us. This is what Jesus does. So would you come to him this afternoon, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ by faith? If you would like to learn more about that, I would love, it would be my joy to talk with you to talk about what that means to turn from sin and turn to Christ by faith and to start your journey with the Lord. See me after the service. We'd love to talk with you and encourage you as you journey with the Lord. All right, so point number one, Jesus prioritizes intimacy with the Father. Number two, Jesus models intimacy with the Father. And then number three, and lastly, Jesus ministers with a dependency from intimacy with the Father. Jesus ministers with a dependency from his intimacy with the Father. Look back with me at verses 36 to 39. Here's what they read. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
So in verses 36 to 37, we see that Peter came looking for Jesus, right? He brings the whole entourage with him. He brings James and John, I'm sure, and then he, not only them, he, he brings the whole crowd with him, right? It's like everyone is looking for you. He tells them, like, everybody's looking for you. It's almost like, and even as some Bible scholars suggest, that Peter in some ways is rebuking Jesus. Kind of like he's rebuking Jesus. It's like, kind of like he's saying, the crowd is looking for you, Jesus. What are you doing here praying? The crowd is looking for you. What are you doing here praying? Come on, Jesus. Get back to the crowd. We have something good going here. Don't mess this up. But in common fashion, as we know the Lord Jesus, he hits him with a surprising response, doesn't he? Look back with me at verse 38. He says, and he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus reminds them. He reminds the disciples and he reminds the crowds what his purpose really is, what his mission really was, the why he came and the what he came to do. Just like in Mark 1, 14 through 15 that we studied a while ago, Jesus lets them know that he came to preach, came to preach the gospel of God. And I like how one scholar puts it, he says, Jesus had come to preach the good news of his coming kingdom. So Jesus had, had, had come to, to preach the good news of his coming kingdom. He continues to say this, he says, his ultimate purpose was not to deliver people from temporal ailments, but to save them from sin and eternal judgment. Meeting people's physical needs was a demonstration of divine compassion and power, but he came to redeem sinners. He came to redeem sinners. But notice, even in Jesus preaching, he's preaching out of a dependency with his intimacy with the Father, right? As we've been studying so far, Jesus was alone praying. He was alone spending time with the Father before he went to preach. So he's spending time with God, and that's fueling him, encouraging him as he goes to proclaim his name. Now, I know I've been focusing a lot on prayer, but please know that when I'm referring to intimacy, I've been saying it throughout, but I want to be crystal clear that when I'm referring to intimacy with God, that the word of God is also included. That the word of God is also included. Prayer and the word go hand in hand. It's a one-two punch when it comes to intimacy with the Father. We are to be a prayer and word-saturated people. That's who we are to be, like Jesus was. A prayer and word-saturated people. Jesus models that here for us, right, as we've been studying, that he prays to the Father, and then he also preaches the word of the Father. Jesus is dependent upon the word of God. And he cherishes the teaching of God's word. Even when he was a little boy, you might remember, in studying the Gospels, even when he was a little boy, we read about the time when he dipped from his parents to stay in the temple to hear the scriptures taught and discussed in Luke 4. Jesus, even when he was rebuking Satan, when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, 4 says this about the word. He says, but he answered, in, in him answering Satan, he says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
This is Jesus prioritizing the word here. Jesus himself is the word of God, the word made flesh. And in being so, he prioritizes the word. He prioritizes the scriptures because it's his word. And it is of first importance. This is why we as a church worship God according to his word. We worship God according to his scriptures. And why we let scripture direct our worship. And how we worship God is found in his word. And dictated by his word. And inspired by his word. Everything that we do in the Christian life should be dictated and inspired and directed by God's word. Amen? So in the way that we worship, in the way that we live and do life, we should let the good book lead us and guide us and by his spirit. Amen? So that's why here at CHCC, we pray the Bible, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, we sing the Bible in our worship gatherings and in our times gathering and in our discipling pods. That's why they're centered around the word of God. Or, or studying a book that's centered on the word of God and opening up the scriptures and praying together. And when we go out on the block and share the gospel, we're sharing not our message, but we're sharing the word of God. We're sharing God's message. Everything that we do should be centered here. Amen? And we do this like Jesus, with the dependency upon God. We can't do any of this, even as we were singing earlier, we're nothing without God. <laughs> Can't do any of this in our flesh, or at least we shouldn't. We need to be doing it by the Spirit, out of a dependency upon God, trusting in Him, amen, and what He can do, not what we can do. So I don't stand up here on my own authority. On my own ability, I have not, like, not on my own ability, my, no, I stand here proclaiming God's word, inviting all of us here. Come here, we're coming here, and I'm communicating here. This is what we do. When we're singing, we're inviting people to worship Jesus, not us, Right? We should be doing this all out of dependency. When we're sharing the gospel, we're not trusting that God is going to save someone because we got this formula down packed or we did this, that, and the third. No, we're trusting God because he is the only one that can save. We have faith in God, the only God, who is mighty and able to save. So we're dependent upon him. That's the whole point I'm trying to get at is that we're dependent upon him for everything. Every need that's been met in your life wasn't because of you, because of God and his provisions. May we be reminded of that this afternoon, that we're not here because of us. We're here because of God. It's because God allows us to be here and has graced us to be here. Has given us breath in our bodies to be here and to live and breathe. We were singing about that too. To live and breathe. So may we be 
dependent more and more on God. In verse 39, as we almost wrap up, Jesus goes all throughout Galilee preaching this word. And out of the overflow of prayer and preaching the word, he cast out demons. Jesus was preaching the gospel that frees sinners from sin and freeing those held captive to unclean spirits. So once again, Jesus is preaching the good news. He's preaching the word that frees sinners. That's what we have been seeing all throughout our study so far in the gospel of Mark. He's preaching the message that frees sinners, the same message that freed us from our captivity of sin. And then freeing those who were held captive, chained to unclean spirits. Jesus prioritized intimacy with the Father before performing works for the Father. I said it again. I want us to get that. I want us to hear that. Is that Jesus prioritized intimacy with the Father before performing works for the Father. So, the encouragement for us is that before we go work for God or do all of the things for God that we are seeking to do or thinking we should do, make sure that we're spending time with God in prayer, in the word. May we model after him understanding that we can't do anything apart from God. John fifteen five, I am the vine. This is Jesus. He says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Christians, may we be reminded that apart from God, we can do nothing. Can't do anything. We need him. So if we're ministering the word but not spending time in the word, how can we expect to share something that we don't know or cherish, it seems to be? If we're not praying but encouraging others to talk to God, how can we tell others to talk to someone who we don't talk to? And if that's you this afternoon, please don't hear this as condemnation. This is not condemnation. This is really me trying to encourage all of us as Christians to prioritize intimacy with the Father. Jesus did it. We should do it. And we need it. We need it. Do we see it as something we need? Do we see it as something as more of a delight and not a duty? Because when it becomes something that's a duty, that's a checklist. That becomes something that we're like, okay, okay, I, gotta, I marked off my quiet time. I marked off my prayer time. But is it a delight? Is it something that you in, are enjoying? We should, when we spend time with God, we should be enjoying our time with God. So may it be a delight and not a duty. Yeah, it is something we need to do, but it's more than that. It's something that we actually get to do. Therefore, it should be a delight. And if that is you this afternoon, <clears throat> There's grace for you, beloved. There's grace for us all. You may have fell off the horse, but you can get back on the horse and ride. 
you can get back on and journey with God. That's grace. Receive that. Keep going. Let's pray. Father, help us to prioritize intimacy with you. Help us to see it as a delight and not a duty to spend time with you. Father, we need you. We are nothing without you, as we were singing in the beginning of the service. We got to have you. We can't make it in this life without you. And if any of us thinks we can, Lord, please humble us. Please break through the pride. Help us to know that we, we can't do it, any of this apart from you. And that we also need one another. That's why you called us together to be a family. You called us to be a family so that we could be side by side, striving together, running this race together. No man or woman left behind, Lord. We, yeah, remind us that you don't desire any Christian to be in isolation. You don't desire any Christian to be a loner. But you have created community for us all. Community with yourself, but then community with the saints. Help us, Lord, to grow in our intimacy with you. Help us to cherish our intimacy with you. And God, I pray, God, if anyone here, yeah, is, is, is struggling, Lord, with their intimacy with you, Lord, I pray that they would run to you and not away from you. Help us to run to you. Because you are open arms welcoming us anytime we come to you. You don't turn us away. You welcome us with open arms. And so, God, whether we're in a dry season, whether we're struggling with sin or struggling with life's challenges, whatever the case may be, Lord, help us to know we can run to you. And that in running to you, we find our hope, we find our joy, we find our strength, we find our peace, we find everything that we need in you. And you've given us everything that we need in you. So may, may we be encouraged this afternoon to continue running hard after you and depending upon you for everything. Anyone here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to you. They would turn from their dependency upon themselves to save themselves but then turn to, to you, understanding that they can't save themselves, and so they're dependent upon the God who saves, the only God who can save. Break in and save, Lord. Soften hearts. Change their lives. And may we continue as we worship you in song and taking the Lord's Supper. May we do it all out of a dependency upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.